Welcome to my home. My name's Cassandra Atherton and I'm the judge of the Joanne Burns Award and the series editor of Spineless Wonders Micro Lit Anthologies. I'm pretty lucky because even though I'm in my home safe haven, I do have a lot of books in my home and happen to have one here, conveniently, um, that I want to talk about today. I also want to make mention of the fact that I'm partly doing the video because you can't waste a good launch dress and you can't waste the lucky rabbit shoes uh, on a festival being cancelled or postponed. So um, I do love coming to the Newcastle Writers Festival. I love the fact that it's such a beautiful place but I love the fact even more that the Writers Festival is so supportive, um, one of the best I think in the country. But this year, as I said, wasn't to be. And so we thought we'd do something entertaining and do a virtual mini launch uh, that I hope that you're going to enjoy from your homes and your safe havens. And it's on this wonderful book here. So the topic of this year's anthology is scars. And writers responded to the topic in so many different varied ways. I think the thing that I loved the most was that people didn't just attack it from a more obvious angle. They came at it from sideways and beneath and parallel. Uh, it was pretty amazing to read all the entries. And it's what makes the book such a treat. Microlit, for those of you that aren't converts yet, is a wonderful form that I can recommend to all writers and readers. Its compression and its brevity is what makes it so fun. And it treads that line between um, short forms such as flash fiction or microfiction and works like prose poetry. Spineless Wonders, run by the indefatigable Bronwyn Meehan, also takes things from the page to the public. And that's one of the things we love doing at the Newcastle Writers' Festival is having pavement pages and amazing ways of interacting in a different space than sitting in your home and reading it um, from the beautiful book. And um, I recommend that you check out our hashtag, Story Bombing, and also Microflix, which is a wonderful way of bringing these micro pieces into the film arena. And there's some really exciting work being done there in Microflix. So check out their website at shortaustralianstories.com.au. So I just basically want to say, enjoy this taster from the anthology, which has over 40 contributors. We asked all of the people who wrote a piece for this anthology to deliver their poem or short fiction or whatever hybrid form they had under the umbrella topic of microlit in any way they, they chose. So some of them have read them, some have got their cats, some have got some crazy things going on. I kind of like how personal it is and everyone was able to do whatever they felt comfortable with that thought it would attract a reader. So support a small press, support bookstores and Australian authors by buying a copy, but more than that, treat yourself to a really fascinating read. I know you're gonna love it. So stay tuned and see many of our writers deliver their pieces from the Scars Anthology. Bye. Hi, I'm Shana Andrews from Newcastle. And this is my piece, The Ocean Has Made Promises. Stockton. The girls painted watercolour Lepidoptera and gorged on their father's oranges and stuffed lumps of coal into their socks to keep them grounded. Boys loaded containers on the docks and held the black dust in their lungs and wielded rocks with their mates. There is lichen on the headstone now of their sister, daughter, friend bone-white seashells and a pinwheel in a jar that is cracked apart in a storm. We light fires in old washing machine drums, howling at the orange orbs of supermoons and blood wolf moons, 
before tipping the fluid from our menstrual cups into begonias and fiddle leaf figs to make them strong. We remember when the boys took us to their bedrooms and crushed our windpipes and called us batshit crazy whores if we weren't grateful. One-eyed felines wrestle beside the ocean-rusted shipwreck on the break wall. Ladies bring them reusable shopping bags filled with whiskers. They say the scars that weren't catfight-inflicted came from fishhooks brandished by cruel kids. But the ocean has made promises. She gnaws away the beach, devours the old surf club. Then she breaches the great big houses, those glass nests, and shucks them of their young. Thank you. My name is Nadine Schofield and this is Shot Through. The couple walk up the path in the dark. They have forgotten the head torch, but they know the way and there is some light from the moon. They stay right. Left of the path are the remnants of the old railway line, wooden pillars like broken teeth shot through with rusted bolts and grass. On the other side of the path and beyond the wire fence is the working line used by the mine. They had been caught in the myopic headlight of a diesel train on the way down the mountain. The driver held the horn and the woman held the sides of her head in discomfort. When the train had passed, she turned to her husband. Another one. He had seen it too the red penis graffitied on the last carriage. There were penises spray-painted all over the village, on every road sign and brick wall. Now, as they passed the village monument, a lump of coal suspended in a rusted circle, they see the dead doe. She is hard up against the fence and stiff in the grass. The black orb eyes are milky in the moonlight and the woman cannot look away. Hello, my name's Susan McCreary. Um, Before I read my piece, I'd just like to wish everybody good health, uh, take care over this next little while, however long it takes. uh, We just don't know, but good luck. Okay, so here's my piece and it's called Affinity. You saw them first from the hot glare of the cove, cleaving the surface they were in gleam and dip. One leap and we knew. Between us one mask, one snorkel for air. I grabbed both when offered and raced for the water, pulling myself out to the endless green where I thought they were, and they were. You, tiny, waiting. Then, in columns of light, it was just me and them. I dived and finned as they did, sped up to spray-blast the sun, Then down again, each when they passed, held my eye, seeming to grin. We drew closer. Must be old, that one, I thought, with its rubbery skin, cross-hatched, marked. Still playing, though, still seeming to grin. It knew me, I thought, but most likely did not. No more than you. This ocean could carry me, too, I thought, marked. Grinning, out or in. Thank you. 
My name's Deb Wayne and I'll be reading my piece called Discussing Pain and the Things I Don't Say. No, not an injury. I was born with it. Kintsugi rupture made visible, the damage and its repair. A spinal malformation of the vertebra L4 or L5, I can't remember which. Better since the surgery, before I couldn't walk without excruciating, not adequate words for pain. It escapes our language and our memories. As to drive around looking for a close parking space, now I'm running again. Hadn't been able to run or ride since I was a teenager. Definitely worth it. 10 hours on the operating table, in through the back first, then the front, then the back again. Three operations in one. Yes, a bargain. Three for the price. I was afraid I might die. About 12 months to fully recover, three months before I could drive. Not quite pain-free now, but it's manageable. Some impressive scars, yes. Intimate lines, navel to pubic bone, lumbar to sacral. Like the bionic woman. Metallic angles, structures that will outlast impermanent and imperfect bones. Yes. Kintsugi uses gold or silver. Mine is titanium. Hi, I'm Josh Mailing de Brow, and this mouthful is called ATAPS 2013, the Department of Health Access to Allied Psychological Services Suicide Prevention Program. It's such a mouthful, not just so I could fit the piece in the word count, but also the acronym always made me think of TAPS, which I found eerie and disturbing at the time. And I also wondered why it had to have such a complicated long name for people going through a very complicated time. At the parent carer's night, you actually leave your suicidal kids at home. The room creaks. A thickening critical mass of uvulas, glottal swells of dark-rimmed mums who say, I haven't slept in weeks. Their dams are at the break point. I sleep. TKO'd by meds myself. Since the time I muddled up the symptoms of the flu and an OD, I'm sloppy with the lockbox concept too. Who am I to stop, to set, anything? In order, motion, or in stone? I always find fresh razor blades. Such hate towards a small, waxed envelope seems strange. Cuts I only catch when long sleeves slip from shoulders. The mask is quickly straightened. A pickup run on laundry day, week, month retrieves a bandage left in no man's land. Its browning roughness bears no trace of any blood I've ever seen on TV or in real life, if that's what this is. I rub the crepe into my cheek like my drawn blood could make hers disappear. They question us as well. Our own behaviour, is it simple? Is it still self-harm if it was just your boyfriend's name you cut into your 14-year-old calf? My mum puts up her hand and asks if biting fingernails badly counts. Hi, 
My name's Andrew Roth, and I'll be reading my piece, Landscape, from my temporary writing desk here in Adelaide. Uh, at this time of distancing, it's uh, really nice to think that these words might be heard in Newcastle and elsewhere around the country. We stand back from the puckered lip, wary of triggering a collapse. The top of the cup is graded and degraded, scrubbed of scrub, and nothing holds anything else together. From up here, it's impossible not to feel the weight of the absent rock, and our task seems impossible. Umber churned to gravel grey, the surface not denuded so much as stripped. No one could hope to heal. Our task is remediation, a different thing. When the syndicate quit the site, hauling salvage up the rails, shrugging its corporate shoulders at the pursuing mob and canting insolvency like an appeal to St. Benedict, the work fell to those who had loved this place before, when saplings and worthless soil hid the coal seam. We will mend as best we can. Marred, marked, what is returned will be unfruitful, nothing more than abiding. At the end of the world, the creek beds baked, plastic vomited up on all the beaches, the birds unable to rise but still calling questions. This ground will split. Ghosts will remember what was done. I'm Jim Craig and this is Kitten. Last night, after a dream about a kitten, when I realised I didn't even think in the dream to look after it, that I wasn't even capable of looking after it, I knew there was something wrong in me, that something inside was caught up, stopped. And yet when, as I thought, have I ever looked after anything properly? When have I, at home while passing a plant whose roots are pressing out, swollen through the holes at the bottom of its pot, pressing out so hard in its search through the silt for a crack in the concrete, the pot's on a tilt, when have I ever been able to pause in what I was doing to cut off the plastic shell, to change the soil, to trickle in water as they show us on YouTube? And what kind of person am I, I thought, who thinks she's kind, who knows what to do but cannot do it? This inner stiff part of me, this scarred, unyielding line that tugs my anemone limbs inside, prompting me to act, or rather not to act, holding me tight so that all out there might pass me by. I'm Magdalena Ball and my piece is Earth Scars. An object of darkness traveling 15 miles a second came into close collision course trajectory. Lost in the glow of the sun, I thought of the Earth receiving the blow in her solar plexus. Uluru Katachuta, Northern Territory, radiating nerves and ganglia. What would it look like? Two million hectares of rivers, forests, floodplains exploded instantly into impact winter. Such terrible alchemy. The crisscross of lines across distended hips, tears concentrated to amber. Is it easier if it's random? If there was nothing we could have done? I could be there, first in the queue, 
taking the hit for the planet, sensing motion as the rock enters the atmosphere, a new species in deadly motion, riding the shockwave of exogenesis. There are other scars below the crust, keloids of overexpression of industry, where an industrious race, always working, growing, metabolizing, metastasizing. Proof runs along the fault line in warning shades of phosphorus green, tailings, digging, burning, tunneling, cutting, liquid reserves in aqua blue, iridescent blooms and red tides, the trace of radionuclides, carbon spears changing the signal in sedimentary rock layer, arriving faster than the speed of sound, crashing before the sonic boom of impact. These are two poems that I've written, which appear in the anthology Scars. The first poem is called Scar Makers Make Men. You can never see how legend has been told to young fellas. You can never see how we shake and we're scared. We initiates whisper questions to quiet our shaking to Miami, no longer under the protection of mother. But on solid ground, our Mother Earth, we stood ready to be cut in the shadow of our history. Law retold by senior men strengthened our backs. We boys stand together, solid, and we stand alone. This is the way we became men. Skinny legs trembled. Miami, speak Barkindji to me. Yabra, Yamari, Yamari. Paranta, paranta. The tremble and worrying in us is broken at the sound of his voice. We stand strong in law, now as men. We take our place in history, knowing now how we are important. Second, my name is Paul Collis. Second poem, uh, micro letters. Um, this is un, untitled, no name. It goes like this. They cut us when we went through law. They cut our body and they cut the tie from our childhood and they cut the tie from our mothers. We became keepers of traditional law. We became men, scarred. Thank you very much, everybody. Hi, I'm Trisha Pender and this piece is called Shark Bite. The shark bite is what my partner calls the scar where my right breast used to be. Cup size H, would you believe? I wonder what they did with it. Given its size, I thought I'd at least lose some weight when they removed it. But the hospital food was so bad I put it all back on in a week. Either that or the bathroom scales were dodgy. My mother took me bra shopping to a specialist boutique, purposefully named You Really Are Beautiful. The fake boob you put in your mastectomy bra is called a form. 
A form for swimming is made from silicon and resembles a large jellyfish. The best temporary forms are made from memory foam. Memory foam. But there's a special delight in receiving a pair of hand-knitted knockers from your McGrath Breast Care Nurse, TM. Why a pair? If you need to weight them down a bit, you can try A. Sinkers. B. Sandbags. Cheers. My name is Alison Miller and my poem is called Contrails. A fault line kicking out from the bottom lip. No one can remember how, just another skin tear, though your mum has stories from bike falls and chicken spots to the knuckle print of that last backhander. In the botanical gardens, you stroke the trunks of trees shinned by possums and children, the bark grooves a broken song about gravity and rib cracks and flight. The landscape of your hometown is as guttural as my German great-aunt, and just as entombed in the wrong side of history, riddled with ditches and the echo wails of wild dogs pockmarking the mountainside. As a child, you climbed rooftops to watch for smoke curls and plane glides against hot skies, your knees crazed with the kisses of brickwork and slate. Your father's chest is a geometry of lost things, a tessellation of moonshine and dead months and too many crosses to bear. You dreamed of alien hands reaching inside that heart space, feeling against the corrugation of sinew and bone to pull out a crayon, a bottle cap, a legless doll. In the morning, you burnt sheets and pillows in the cast iron pit, a snow dust of ash and memory settling on the windows and lawn. Hello, I'm Danielle Baldock and I'm going to read to you from the Scars Anthology, my story, Best of Three. She waits, watches yellow fingers of light slide across the airless room. This one? He pokes a perfectly round scar on her tan chin. Well, I was five in the supermarket. Just the facts, ma'am. Competition rules. Spiky shelf. Stabbed leg. Barbie reward. Score. His eyes are alight. This? She pokes a surreal white squiggle on his shoulder. Skateboarding. Twelve. Mays Hill. Blame my brother. She snorts. So you say. He grins. Next. She holds out her foot. Crisscrossed by a neat railway track, a crater midway down. Foot squashed by a rocker full of cousins. Infection, operation, bone scraping, three weeks hospital, jelly oozing out. Impressive. She jigs in her chair. Beat that. A jagged silence flows about them. <coughs> <coughs> Hello, I'm Kathleen Bleakley and this is my piece Swell, dedicated to Pling, my lovely late partner in life and art. Swell, from your ankle to bum, bruising after the fall, no cut but bleeding beneath skin, blues to purple, yellow, jaundice-like, blackening swelling foot hurting looking at you as much as the final wrench of us leaving 
old friends and family, bushlands, kangaroos amongst the burbs, lake four seasons, cicadas constant, tossing amber leaves to a cloudless sky, frost melting at lunchtime, cherry and plum blossom kisses. Our coast home, gazing out at the swell, you trying on shoes to house this foot in transition, still blue below the surface, swollen as with flight, it will land again, plant on sand, feel grains between toes, there'll be no scar. Hi, my name is Brenda Proudfoot. During World War II, my father served in the Royal New Zealand Air Force. My story, Neighbours, is loosely based on his experiences during and after the war. The man stands on his spade. The blade cuts deep into the clay soil. He digs in compost, turns and breaks up clods. Two boys dart from behind the squat trunks of palm trees, machine gun each other across no man's land. His seven-year-old son chases his playmate, grabs the waistband of his grey shorts, pulling him over. They tumble onto the grass. The father looks up when he hears their belly laughter. His boy is fair. The other, dark with almond eyes. His mother appears from the brick house next door. She bows to the man. He nods, raises one hand to touch his brim. She reminds him of a porcelain doll, her delicate frame, her hands tucked into her sleeves. Osamu, she calls. The man plants seedlings in orderly rows. How long since he plotted the grids, their Hudson flew over the Pacific while hunting enemy ships? Since they killed his schoolmate, a Burma railway slave. All that death and destruction. Now the Japs are living next door. He washes his hands, then stands back to admire his handiwork. Soon there'll be scarlet salvias and sunflowers drawn to the light. Okay. Hello, I'm Paul Hetherington and I'm going to read my prose poem from Scars called Ripple. Beneath the white shirt, a ripple of tattoos and damage from trapeze acts when you fell after swinging out into space like a sudden verb. The gap between past and future closed. Your muscles propelled you into netless air and mainly you stayed aloft like a word among emptiness or rapid undecidable metaphor, spangling light, a gust in the big top,
a clenched expression in glittering dark. Cast limbs and torso, a swivelling turn and hold. White light on your body falling like a shirt. Thank you. Hi there, I'm Shady Cosgrove and I'm reading the short piece, Magic Show. She was the magician, her ex-husband, the beautiful assistant. He gathered props and posed at the side of the stage, smiling with those straight white teeth. After she impressed the crowd with interlocking hoops, he climbed into a long box with his head and feet at either end. She held up a blade and sawed through his torso, wheeling him around. When it was time to piece him together, she waved her cape and disappeared to smoke and murmurs. People stood. The ex-husband's face was pale, blood pooling on the floor. He let out a small groan and finally someone in the wings called for an ambulance. Thank you. This is Shotgun by Patrick West. Shotgun shacks are not to be confused with riding shotgun. Shotguns for short, they take their name from the avenue of air created when all the doors are flung open. You can fire a shotgun through the front door and hit nothing by the scarecrow standing out the back. When people think of shotguns, they think of the poor and desolate of America. They think of towns without magnificent avenues. But these ways of thinking are out of date. Examples are legion. Only the other day, the National Enquirer announced that a derelict shotgun was to be shipped to Singapore to provide a talking point in the foyer of the Shogun Hotel. Still, that sort of thing, riding shotgun on history like that, can't help but leave a scar somewhere. Sarah St. Vincent Welsh, Inside. My piece in Scars, my microfiction or prose poem is a visual piece and I just thought that I would show it to you. You can see that inside is the first word of every line and that there is a scar-shaped absence within the poem. So I'll read it to you. Inside, a fissure, it tears across. It's honest, at least a bite. Inside, a scar, the drills slipped here. Shadows jump, wince. Inside, pink infection, along the open edge, flesh weeps. Inside, it is rank, stinks, festers, delicious, sticky threads. Inside, it's a psyche ripped, it limps, totters under here. Inside, it's a banshee, silenced, wailing in wound cuts. Inside, it's a torn mucous membrane, unfit, a fissure. Inside, it's an abscess, empty, a pit, a crater, a vent. 
Inside it's a flap and under caress, the tongue tip inside it's a noise, a grunt tick caught between. Inside it's awkward as anything it's hard to. Inside it's sticking out, good you can't see it much. Inside it's familiar, even comforting sometimes. Inside it's stemmed with soft cloth stitches tape. Inside it's have a look, ragged edged ulcers get a torch. Inside it's life, it's now a map of near misses closing over. Hi, I'm Stuart Barnes. I'm really happy to be a part of SCARS. The piece I'm going to read is called Old Habits Die Hard, which includes a line from A Midsummer Night's Dream. Every weekday afternoon, until my father collapsed, my mother and I would laze in their recliners and scoop homemade French onion dip with Jats crackers. The way she'd move the nail file from digit to digit without tilting her gaze from the young and the restless was mesmerising. So too the hopeful glint of the grooved stainless steel. Did Mrs Cashin hide it in a fruitcake? I'd sometimes wonder. My father, the crazy quilter, still picks his fingernails until blood floods the lunially. His nail beds are cratered as the moons. I've been biting mine since middle school. Not even the solution my mother would apply to the unholy mess could stop me. I grew to enjoy its bitterness as I grew to enjoy grapefruits. Psychiatrists insist trichotillomania goes hand in hand with, with onychophagia. But recently I met my eyebrowless ex, who otherwise resembles Johnny Marr, and who's only ever clipped his fingernails. I tweeze them, he said. The Zoloft's useless. I started plucking my left one after the accident. You look like Aquaman, Kane said, prodding my bald patch as we exited the cinema. The course of true love never did run smooth. Thank God I'm able. I'm Anna Forsyth and my piece is called Drawing the Line. I like to capture their essence, to see the real person, but it's all about the line, you know. I didn't, but I nodded. Can you pass me the charcoal? I peeked nervously around the easel at the woman, all soft peach-tinted flesh perched on the stool, holding her sleeping baby in her arms. Her long, dark hair was flecked with grey. Jared was measuring angles with a pencil. Squint, measure, repeat. It's all in the details, Tad. This time I rolled my eyes. It was halfway through the lesson that I realised I'd hardly drawn more than a line. How long had I been staring? With the baby now in the other room, I could see everything. Every undulance. I swallowed, wondering why it was so unnerving. I steadied my hand to follow the line of the scar as faithfully as I could. I glanced at Jared's drawing. He had sweat pooling under the arms of his plaid shirt. Jared, where's the scar? He paused just for a moment. Oh, I didn't like the line, so I left it off. I stared at him, touched my belly gingerly. Somehow I don't like the lines either.
the sheaves of days. Sam O'Loughlin's blade catches the interminable sun. The thinning red gum no longer shades the dust. The creek that has sustained it through all the O'Loughlin generations hasn't run for a year. Growing feed is no longer important. There's nothing left to keep alive. The few cattle Sam couldn't sell are on adjustments far away. Those too weakened to be relocated, he shot and buried. The river to the north is nothing but pools, hardly fit for mosquitoes. The birds have flown, and with summer bearing down, there's a hint of smoke haze on the breeze. Even with nothing left to protect, there's no peace in this country. Sam takes the knife and draws a line next to the others, one to mark each day since the last rainfall. 94 now, in clusters of five, the way prisoners record their incarceration. The bunches, each bound by the horizontal slash of the fifth day's mark, suggest cut hay, gathered as it was in the early days, when droughts could be easily forgotten during the good times. Sheaves of days circle the trunk. A glance at the sky says Sam will be back tomorrow to complete another bundle. Hi, I'm Judith Nagala Crispin, and I'll be reading you my poem on finding Charlotte in the anthropological record. We meet on the surface of a photograph, as a fish and bird might meet in a lake, at some point of sky and the water's plain. Charlotte, in a book called The Aborigines of Northern Victoria, sits jade black on earth, wind disarranging her hair. Trees obscured by falls of campfire ash. Her nudity is covered by a blanket. I don't know if her breasts are hanging, if her thighs bear designs or marks. A needlework of scars crosses her chest. Repeated dots, like patterns on a goanna's back, like rain spat by goannas into dirt. Soon constellations will appear over branches, on this night of ninety years ago, this never-again night, and she asks me, where did you go, girl, with your made-up history, your ever-whiter babies? This is what remains, a record of relatedness, scars to hold the memory of someone precious after they've died. We begin by cutting skin. Rub wounds with gum and ash, black ants to cauterize the flesh. I remember them telling me, don't worry, this blackness fades with each generation. Charlotte is a map of a country stained by massacres, Skull Creek, Poison Well, Black Gin's Leap. A geography of skin and land, maps for the returning, 
for those who speak only a murderer's tongue, whose song lines are erased, who consulted departments of births, deaths and marriages, who stood beside rented Toyotas clutching photographs in a hundred remote communities asking strangers, do you know my family? Can you tell me who I am? This moment, an old light is crossing the boundaries of emulsion. And I say to her, Charlotte, grandmother of my grandfather, I am Judith, and these are my scars. Hi, it's Rosanna Lucari, and I'm here in Brisbane, Queensland. Um, I'm going to read my poem for you today, and it's called Mare Tranquillitatis, 1969. It was a smooth landing on the rocky satellite that dominates the night sky. The moon's complexities became apparent long after we discarded myths and magic, and we declared it a mix of earth and a heavenly body. Our half-sister, the scarred child of a savage collision that magnetised the earth, granted it a new tilt and spin, producing the diversity of cycles, the seasons, day and night. The moon pulled tides over fledging biospheres and kindled our taste for hypotheses. Our eyes locked onto black and white TVs as Armstrong declared, Houston, tranquility base here, the eagle has landed, and the moon took a deep breath. Thank you. Hi everyone, my name is K.R. Reese and I'm going to be reading from my piece from the Scars Anthology. Uh, this piece was written about the legacy of colonialism on Rottnest Island, Wajimup, and what happens to a place when it's seen primarily through the lens of a commercial imperative and the weight of history and its consequences are left to be borne by a small section of the population, uh, in this case the Noongar people. And it's also about impermanence and cricket. Uh, hope the lockdown is treating you all well and thanks for listening. This is No White M&M's. How the colour from M&M's stains your fingers before you get to the centre. How a game of cricket lasts five days and no one dies of exposure. How the heads of Jean Coul's dance even as their necks are breaking, how children's laughter spreads like wildfire, but our hair fades to ash. My white skin pits like the shriveled seed of a peach, the moisture long since gone from the flesh. How black men and boys were chained together on Rodness Island. How you can go there and camp, and there are quokkas, and you can Instagram it. How absence itself is a memorial, but amnesia is a national pastime. How buildings tower into the sky like solidly built things, 
but how a brick fits solidly into a hand, how bricks once came from sand, how there are no white M&Ms, only one sucked of any colour. Thank you.